Notabene, a very special edition of Notabene. I've been looking forward to this one for quite a long time, Benjamin. This is an interview we've been trying to get in the books and on the Zoom podcast recorder for a while. We were able to sit down in his newly installed show of drawings with Jonas Wood at the Karma Gallery, and it was was a a barn burner of a conversation. Truly amazing. I mean, I, I did not, you know think that Jonas will let us down. He did not. It's just, you know, he's one of the most fascinating, interesting, and exciting artists alive. Yeah, you know? no, he's a super thoughtful guy. It was great to sit amongst his work and be able to discuss it. You know, Jonas is someone that I have, like, looms large in my history of involvement in the world of the contemporary arts. Oh, yeah? Um, I was working for a small gallery called Bitforms, uh, which was on 21st Street across from the Anton Kern Gallery, and was friends with a bunch of kids uh, that worked over there um, when Jonas had his first big show of paintings in New York of basically basketball players. And I think... 2006, 2007? I'm not sure. It must have been 2000. Yeah, somewhere in there. first New York I mean, Jonas tells us about it in the interview, which you're about to listen to. Uh, But so I went and hung out for the opening, was able to cage my way into the after dinner, one of the first big gallery dinners I went to. Wow, Uh, so cool. I forget how I did that or really where it was or anything about it. Uh Um, But I got to meet Jonas. I hung out with him. And I think Mark was there at that time and a whole bunch of other heads. Um, So, you know, and I've tracked his career and I've been involved in acquiring... uh, work from his practice on behalf of clients ever since we brought him down to dallas to get the two by two a few years ago um and he had a little show at the dma um so he's someone that's been very important to me and from afar even though we live in different cities i would call a friend i've spent a lot of time in the various studios over the years and just a a great guy and to hear him talk about the import of his drawing practice and how it's evolved because in the gallery there's like 20 years of the work going around the walls we'll get into that in depth it's really an incredible installation uh you know that spans yeah 20 years and you can track how the work has developed though in the early drawings the jonas touchstones are all there and it's kind of amazing to see how the entire vision was kind of already you know born yeah so cool yep. and then you have your own obviously you've known jonas for years as well mm-hmm. but quite fairly recently you did a story on the rise and the import of a poker game that he's been involved yeah. with in the city of los angeles for like 10 that's, plus that's years. right yeah i've known jonas for years and years and um you know he's a great friend uh you know great person to go to for dad advice shout out jonas for dad advice um but yeah, I've, I've been sort of watching this poker game from afar. You know, I love playing poker. I'm really bad at it. So I never played in the games because I would just lose all my Those money. Those guys are really good. They're really, really good. But even like low stakes games, like I can't really commit to more than, you know, 50 bucks or whatever because I'm just going to lose it. Um, but I love I love poker. I love the culture of it. I find it fascinating. So I asked him, you know, if I could sort of come to his uh, World Series of Art Poker, which he uh, throws, you know, at least once a year in Los Angeles and sort of just like be a fly, find the wall and just take it all in. And he said, absolutely. And then he helped coordinate a bunch of interviews with, you know, the people who have been instrumental in making it happen. You know, uh, Mark Grochon, Matt Johnson. He got to talk to Jack Black for a long time, which is really fun. Uh, he Your is buddy, Jack Black. My, now my buddy. But uh, no, but like Jack, it was so funny. It was like I had to do that interview from home uh, while taking care of the baby and Lucy was there and it was on speaker and Lucy was like Jack Black might be one of the more intelligent guys I've ever heard talk about art like just like the sort of innocence that he had just talking about how much he loved Yoshi Tomonara was really inspiring and really cool so that was a great story I, that was a tangent sorry but yes uh, 
No, well, I think I think it highlights something we briefly get into, but Jonas was pretty modest about this. Is his kind of what an important figure he is in the Los Angeles art scene, yeah, uh, and how he's been a real mentor for a younger generation of artists, and how he was mentored himself by people like Mark Laura Owens, who he worked for, one of his first jobs in the art world, who I think. Uh, the Karma Gallery is publishing a catalog in conjunction with the show that includes a conversation between Jonas and Laura about drawing. Mm-hmm. It's also really interesting to see. I, I know that Jonas and Brendan from Karma have been friends for a long time, are really close friends, and uh, Brendan has done a number of catalogs, but the first time, certainly a solo show by Jonas at that gallery yeah. in New York. Um, Jonas is... Uh, for the last number of years, shown uh, with with the Gagosian galleries worldwide, uh, as well as David Kordansky in Los Angeles. So this is kind of a new chapter for both Brendan and he in that friendship, and just interesting, uh, very from interesting. a thirty thousand foot view to see taking place. Of course, yeah. Brendan has worked on. I think he said like something like fourteen books that Jonas has done uh, for Gagosian and other galleries, and. Um, this yeah new chapter just you know actually showing the work in the space and i think that you know tonight's gonna be a real blockbuster opening it's gonna be one of those openings where it's just spilling out yeah we're we're going to dinner afterwards at indochine i believe right it's It's the perfect spot for it oh my god perfect like early summer like late june opening in new york it's gonna be the last art event in the city i go to until mm. September, I would think. Yeah, and it's a great one to go out on. Uh, it's just going to be, you know, the vibes in that gallery right now, um, you know, you cannot leave without a smile on your face. Like, it just, like, really just makes you believe in fucking art. It's yeah, great. And a quick, you know? quick shout out before we wrap this up and get to the interview to to the professionalism of the Woods Kusaka studio people, the gallery. Like, we show up, there's a table set for us, there's, mm-hmm. like, a water jug, there's, like, printed out press releases like it was like it was like they thought we were real journalists it was I know, pretty it was cool amazing, you're yeah. used to this but it was new for me i am i am a little used to this you know if if i'm doing an interview with people who know what they're doing but you know to roll out the red carpet for the pod just was a nice notes day. to other people time to up your game when we're, when we're <laughs> coming to town all right let's get right to it so stay tuned jonas wood and us in conversation right after, after this, this. Welcome back to Note to Bene. We are thrilled to be joined by a very special guest and friend, the artist Jonas Wood, here in New York's East Village. What's going on, Jonas? What's up, guys? It is such a uh, privilege to have you on the podcast and to be doing it in the middle of this amazing show that I... opens at Karma tonight. Amazing. Happy to be here. I think this is the first time we've ever done a podcast recording in the dead center of a gallery, and it's pretty cool because... We can actually talk about the work, which I think is really nice. We're Love in the middle that. of the Karma space on uh, 2nd Street and 2nd Avenue. I guess it's probably their newest space. And we're surrounded by exactly 100 drawings that you've made over the course of almost 20 years. Um, yeah. When is the first drawing in here from? 2003, when oh. I first moved to L.A. Um, down from the Europe and the Pacific Northwest before that at school. Yeah. Is that right? From yeah. Seattle straight to L.A. Wow, what a life change. Yeah. Um, and it's pretty cool because it's not totally chronologically hung, but you get a sense, like, broadly, it kind of goes around in a clockwise manner from the opening of where we get to see how your work has evolved. So let's just kind of begin, like, where was your life at when you moved down from Seattle? You just graduated graduate school? Yep. I went, yeah, I guess I took a detour in Martha's Vineyard for, like, six months, mm-hmm. and then I moved. But I always knew I wanted to move to New York or L.A., and then I had one friend in L.A. So I went to grad school in Seattle. That's where I met Shio. She was an undergrad at UW. And then I had to go back to Martha's Vineyard for a little bit. My mom was sick. I went back there. And then I was like, I'm not living on the East Coast. Or definitely not Martha's Vineyard. <laughs> and then um, 
And then I talked to my friend Matt Johnson, who I went to high school with, and he's like, oh, you should move to L.A. It's beautiful out. There's lots of artists hiring uh, young artists to work for them. You can get more space. I was like, I'm sold. Let's drive out there. So, weeds way better. I mean, weeds way better. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Well, once I got to Seattle, I was like, whoa, weed. People are just selling it on the street. Yeah, I well, moved to the West Coast when I was 18. Oh, and there you go. I wasn't quite prepared for the power of the marijuana that they had out here in the late 90s oh, or out there. Oh, my God. Um, I was a mess. Um, anyway, so you come out and do, do you start working in an artist studio right away mm-hmm. or kind of? Right away, Shio had a job working for Charlie Ray. I had a couple odd jobs. My first odd job, which I actually revisited recently, was at Jorge Pardo's Mocha House that he built, mm. where now Seaview Gallery. No yeah. way. So Very I cool. helped um, another artist uh, like rip open a, a a wall at that house. That was one of my first jobs, and I and I was sort of working for Matt a little bit. And then within like six, five or six months, I got a job working for Laura Owens who uh admittedly i did not know who i was uh that person was or that artist was <laughs> i never read an art i never actually looked at an art form before i moved to la so i was uh not in the loop so to speak i mean it's probably pretty healthy if we're going into that studio situation kind of being like it was pretty healthy i make stuff i like cool stuff you know yeah she she was she had just let go somebody else and and i was like oh what happened and uh it was actually really good advice she's like she was like yeah i think that the person was there to try to get hooked up and like a career and that's not really what i was looking for an assistant i was just hoping that somebody would help me and like learn and i was like scared shitless the first uh the first like couple weeks of working for her and then i i don't think i ever really showed her my art or anything till right before i stopped working for her so um, and then my friends were like, Laura Owens, you're working for Laura Owens. I was like, who's that? And I looked her up. <laughs> we were, the first thing I worked on was this, uh, this painting she was making for the Whitney Biennial. So wow. I, I was very, uh, soon became aware of her, um, importance and obviously like brilliance. And I'm sure that was also like, you're dropping right into kind of the heart of the Los Angeles scene at that time, which is super interrelated between different artists, the art schools and all yeah. that. So it was a great education in like the scene for lack it, of a better word it was an amazing education and also everybody thought i went to ucla because <laughs> matt was graduating ucla at the time for grad school and all these other friends and it was really wild because it's like usc cal arts otis art center ucla and i moved there when and i just became friends with all these recent grads or people who are still in grad school and then just like right in the right in the mix you know of of uh being with a bunch of artists yeah, and we can get into that in a bit, but LA had then and still does such a specifically different scene in how pe- kind of people support each other and like mm-hmm. show up for each other mm-hmm. and like are kind of there. Yeah. Um, in a way that I think is really special. And in addition to the schools being there and the th- geography and the fact that you can have more space and better kind of light, like that's something that makes the art scene out there to me at least very special. So you're 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 kind of ending your working for Laura and um and you're working just on paper. Are you making paintings then as well? I had a studio the whole time and I was making like the first drawings in the show of the like potted plants um that stuff i was making in 2003 and i worked for her from like 2003 and a half to 2004 and a half 2005 and i was making paintings and drawings um already but they weren't really connected to each other that's the one thing i kind of really took from working with her 
And then the two two studies in this in this show that are for uh, two of the first studies I ever made that I made into paintings the the kid on top of the fort and then the animals um, running in my parents' backyard. Like I had made those specifically to make into a painting, which I learned from working for her. So like preparatory drawings. Yeah. The, but, but they're finished works on, in, in their own right. Though, yeah, like some totally. Paper. Yeah. Um, it's funny. We were looking at another early drawing, earlier drawing together, the um, kind of one of the first kind of interiors, studio interiors, um, which becomes a recurrent theme throughout your practice, like right. to the present day. And right. I was, yeah. and I was noticing, like, even though this is like, I don't know, whatever, 16, 18 years ago, you see this line, the way you're making the wood grain. And it's, it's such a Jonas line. It's a little wonky, I think was the word you used. Yeah. It's, like, it's not quite straight, but that's like not organic. That's the way it is. But like, it feels, there's something about the weight to me. Like mm. it's not a, it's not a single thickness. It kind of varies based on, I guess, on how much pressure you put or whatever. Right. Um, and I love the way that you can see um, when you see a quote-unquote historic or a linear show like this, you can see re- not just recurrent themes, but like the little techniques and like the vibe. Like you have your energy, your kind right. of life forces in there, exactly. which I really, really dig. The line. Uh, mm-hmm. um, yeah, and you, and you go through, you know, you, and even at this very first earliest wall, you see like, on this wall, you see almost all the themes that emerge in your, in, in your work, right? Mm-hmm. We've got, we got sports figures, uh, a great Larry Bird um, uh, drawing, um, we got plants, we have the urns, interiors, portraits. I mean, we really kind of have it all, the basketballs. Yeah. This is wild, actually, now that I like kind of step Still back life. and look at it. yeah. yeah How'd all, you get, I mean, I, I know you're a big um, uh, sports fan, basketball fan. Like, right. how did you, like, and, but like that isn't something that at least in the world of contemporary art, you would see. There was what, there was that guy in like the 80s that would do sports figures and stuff. And I yeah, guess Leroy Warhol, Neiman. Yeah, and right. I guess, you know, obviously Warhol did some celebrities, including athletes. But how did you wrap your head around being okay with focusing on something you actually love in a genuine way? Right. That's a good question. I think going out of grad school, um, my intent was to always like get better at painting, right? And And I was sort of, a figurative painter, I guess, but I got some good advice, which was like, what are your favorite artists paint? And most of my favorite artists that I studied that I was, um, that obsessed with painted portraits, still life, landscape, interior. Um, and so that was one thing I was like, okay, if I want to keep getting good at practicing painting, you know, like with the emphasis on practice that I was going to, paint in this realm and then the second thing that I got really good advice or at least I was taught in grad school was like you have to really like love what you're painting you don't want to um feel I never really wanted to feel like I was like for forcing myself to to find something to paint so I was like well I love sports I love animals I really like plants and then I just sort of use that as my jumping off point of what I was really because I I noticed people would get into painting and making stuff in school and then they seemed like halfway through they'd be devastated with how everything was going and I always thought maybe it's because they didn't really love what they chose to paint and so I was just trying to really hone in on I really like like milk crates you know what I mean and like how geometric they were and I guess every artist sort of finds things they're into but I was like oh there's a milk crate in my studio I'm watching sports I collect plants and also still life was a big thing because my wife makes a lot of um vessels so I started using her her um 
objects as as it's still life. It's what it's what around and obviously what you love. Exactly. So it was like, what's around? It sounds kind of like a stupid answer, but it was, it really was what's around. Yeah, <laughs> but I can just you know, but I you're downplaying, but there's a braveness to that in like the contemporary art world, being like, hey, I'm into sports. I'm gonna, you know, I remember seeing a big show of like of paintings over in Chelsea, like way back in the day. Oh yeah, right. Uh, like probably 2005, something like that. I'm not at sure Anton's, exactly. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. At Anton's, and it was wild to see a guy that was painting basketball players, sports figures, because like we're supposed to be thinking about smarts. You know, there's all this kind of pressure to be a certain way, but like you're kind of really going from the heart, and it really came through. And I was like, oh, I get this. I'm not even a big basketball guy, but I was like, right. I get this. And not only, and they're also kind of radical the way you're looking at these figures and how we deitize them and kind of, you know, the, their cultural makeup. But like, really, it's just like, I love this. And it's like visually super interesting. Thanks. I mean, deitizer, yeah, de- that part about it is very accurate because I would either choose the people that I was like obsessed with or who I thought were interesting looking and like elevated them to a, a level where maybe they they were connected to me personally, you know, try to connect yeah, yeah, no, heroes. you have like a you collect your heroes. I mean, you know, Larry works for me because I'm from I'm from Boston, the Boston area Boston. as well. Yeah, so like that's like that's like that is my childhood. It's like seeing like that with the hands on the hips and right. you know, which is also a classical kind of art history sculpture pose, right? Like the arms akimbo kind of thing. Um, and he has this kind of Grecan look. Um, but then you get super flat and you do stuff like these basketballs that we're looking at that are like super 2D, right? The mm-hmm. series of uh, eight basketballs or even the Lakers um, uh, home court paint right. from above um, where it becomes really graphic, um, but super, super strong. I wonder like what was living in LA that has all these signs around, like all these strip malls with all these, I'm almost thinking like a Sarah Gomez, like all these kind of like these flat signs everywhere. Do you think that's informed it at all? Or kind of where does this... Um, I think like, I always thought about, think about painting as it's not real, you know, it, cause I, when I first started painting and painting portraits and stuff, the, my professors in grad school were like, well, if you're going to paint a portrait, you have to paint from life. It's got to be realistic. The light hits it this way and so on. And I was like, I'm not, that's not really for me. You know what I mean? Um, I, I tried it and I got good at it, but it wasn't the way I wanted to paint. So I always thought of painting as sort of not real, like it could be anything, I think. And then the floating basketballs were the first time I really started thinking about just like object, like object paintings or object drawings. And, and it kind of reoccurred, like just a pot, just a, just a ball, you know, just an urn, you know, just a plant. Um, and, and, and that was okay too. Like it didn't have to be located anywhere else besides like what it was signifying. Like it didn't have to exist in a, a real space. Mm-hmm. So I kind of like thought about painting that I could make an interior and it was, had some sort of space that you can enter. And also you could just have an object and that was okay that there was kind of differences because the connection was that it was still flat and it was still painted by me and made by me, you know, and, and the floating ball thing came out of just doing a lot of, looking at a lot of sports, uh, and making a lot of sports portraits and the ball flying through the air when somebody's shooting, that would be in these pictures that I was appropriating. And I was like, Oh, that's kind of, and I made like hundreds of basketballs like that, which is were fun. I made a huge grid in my studio of like hundreds of basketballs and uh, on paper and just for fun. Like I was like, this is great. Like I can just make a basketball. Yeah. I mean, and they work so well in here. It's like a punctuation point a little bit, right. like a little bit of pause. Yeah, they're, they're in motion. They're not flat. I mean, yeah. like, right. Like these are balls. Around that, what, what you know. year are we making works kind of over on the uh, side? The, the balls are from 2008. 
The, and, La- the Larry Bird is from 2007. Are you showing in LA at that point? Like, do you have? Like, uh, yeah, my first, first show, first my first show in LA was 2006 at Black Dragon Society. Fuck yeah. Um, so that's that's um, whatever, 16, 17 years ago. And then my first show in New York was 2007 at um, Anton Kern in July. Not long after that show in LA. That's crazy. Right. Um, how'd you? How'd you? Was just being around and being in the seat in LA that you met the Black Dragon guys, or kind of how Black that Dragon? Up? I that they were they were already like killing it when I was there, and I I, I idolized all. They they basically mostly showed like male figurative painters. Honestly, that's what they were known for. And I was like, I'm a male figurative painter. Like, let me get in there. And I was kind of like banging at their door, uh, you know. And Roger and Hubert, who opened the gallery, offered me a show. And Parker Jones was working there at the time. And, um, and I, I think I wanted to show there in 2004 or 2005, but I finally got my opportunity in October, 2006. So, um, so yeah, I mean, it was, it was sort of like mid Chinatown Renaissance, you know, like China art objects already happened. Like Perez projects had actually moved a gallery down there. There was was, Joel there. There was happy lion. Joel had down there. Kordansky had already opened Galenko Kordansky. Joel had a gallery. Um, he had Pruis Press. He had the, the everything there before. I mean, um, so yeah, that was that was where I wanted to show. I really got to show at the gallery. I really wanted to show out in L.A. Um, in two thousand six. Um, and who you, you still hang out with, Matt? I presume. Kind of who else is kind of your social, your peer artists that like your your heavy homies around that period? From that time, like still like Matt. Matt Johnson and then I, I met Grochon through this Black Dragon show because he was collecting art and he and uh, which he still does and and he's the one who introduced me to Anton and Shane Campbell I pretty much do everything that Grochon does it turns out <laughs> you know I mean? which is not a bad you know. or at least gallery wise um so uh yeah like a bunch of people I mean I, st- I still see Laura all the time hang out with Laura I mean I couldn't rattle off well, there's an interview with names. you and Laura that's going to be in the catalog yeah, for the show yeah, right yeah Laura Laura we did a really cool uh I wouldn't call it an interview I would say it's a conversation about drawing about not my drawing particularly but just about the, the idea of it and because because literally I give her a lot of credit I don't know if it if, if it embarrasses her or whatever, but it really truly like opened my, expanded my mind working for her. And I guess a lot of people would say that about working for like exceptional artists, but I had never really put together the idea that like a drawing could really facilitate like painting and kind of vice versa until I had worked for her and kind of tied it all together. Um, and you even have, you there's one collaborative work in the show of yeah. 100 drawings, right? That you From and Mark did together? Yeah. Right. So you, that, that you and Gertrude made together. Yeah. How did you make it together? Were you, were you guys doing that a lot? Was it just sort of like a, you know? It was just a moment in time. There's actually like two bits of works in the show that related to uh, me and Grochon's collaboration. So 2008, 2009, um, he was working on some work that related to his grandfather's drawing. His grandfather was a psychologist or psychiatrist. And also he made a ton of drawings and was sort of like an incredible draftsman. And he showed me some of these drawings that his grandfather made. And, um, I was like, let's, let's collaborate. Let me draw on top of them. So we, we printed out a bunch of them and we kind of did this sort of postal service, like the, the band kind of style back and forth thing where he would, he would give me something and I would work on it and then we give it back oh, cool, to him. And cool. in, in this particular one, the double B ball orchid, it was like a, 
a drawing that his grandfather made of an orchid. So his part of the collaboration was printing out this, this thing that was part of his sort of family archive and me drawing over it. And then I appropriated that double basketball orchid. And I remember asking him, like, you know, I really like this double basketball orchid thing. Like, do you mind if I appropriate this and make it my own? And he's like, sure, like, it's, it's already your own, you know. It's, well, that's a lay motif that then kind of continues on, yeah, on in a way. Right here, what, what year is that from, like, 15 years later? Uh, that's from uh, two years ago, so 2021. So I, I kind of do go back to almost every single thing that I've ever done. Not particularly the exact same thing, but I, I, I still sort of focus on that idea about what I said about leaving grad school, about, about trying to um, focus on what I'm interested in and also focus on these sort of like sets of things that help me kind of continue to elevate my practice. And so it's like, oh, it's a new flower and some new balls. Like, I just made some in my studio. And also, you know, I'm not against the idea of, like, making art as pleasure, as making art to, um, to like, uplift yourself. I think um, I'm not really um, maybe uh, the more romantic version of an artist where it's like you're grinding it out and it's painful. Like, I like to have fun. And I think part of having fun is is revisiting things and kind of reinventing them and and really kind of like becoming almost elated and high off off the possibility. Yeah, and I think you feel that in the work because I'm not against as a viewer like experiencing pleasure. That's, that's one of my prime motivations. <laughs> nice. And I think everything that surrounds you and your practice is kind of like there's fun, there's play, there's pleasure, there's right. like there's love. And I think one of the things I'm looking around, I'm seeing the recurrence of a lot of um, of Shio's pots in a lot of the still lives, mm-hmm. is the fact that you and your wife share a studio facility. Right. Like, you know, I have some shirts, and it's always oh, not Jonas Wood Studio, Shio Kusaka Studio, it's, it's Woods Kusaka Studio. Right. Um, what is, what is, like, how important is that to you that you guys are kind of in this together? While you're making, you're not making work together, but they interrelate and like right. you have the space. I think that's a beautiful thing and pretty rare. Right. Well, it didn't start off that way. Um, we had a studio before we had kids together, um, um, close to downtown in LA and we were already married and then we actually broke up for like a year plus. And it was mostly having to do with probably sharing a space and being quite frustrated and not really, it was still sort of when I was working for Laura, just after I had worked for Laura and I, I really hadn't sort of accessed my, my, my like studio practice in, in such a way where it was really working you know and I think that that was tough and we were both in in kind of a tough spot and then we broke up and then since then so 2005 we got back together we got a house on the west side and we've shared studio space or living space um since then and it it wasn't really a problem before that one moment and then it was a problem and then it hasn't been it has been great to share um almost everything you know and 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 about um, I don't think I'm like elevating Shio or, or, or bringing her up. Like Shio is fantastic where it kind of really became obvious is like, I remember Anton in 2007 was like, where are these, where are these pots that you're painting? Like, where are these magical pots that you're painting? And I was like, Oh, that's my wife. And then Anton was the first person to be like, like, let me bring some of these to the back of the gallery. And then I, and also Blum and Poe were like, we, we love this work. Like, let's, can we acquire a bunch of these to give people as gifts? Like, and she was showing at a small space in, in LA on the West side. 
And I think it was mostly just like, yeah, like I wasn't trying to hide how awesome she was. I was definitely like, everybody check this out, you know? And, and so I've always felt that way, like to, to, to share things together. It never really felt just about me because, um, my wife is like super supportive and incredible artist, inspiring artists and, and very like steady. And it's just always been a shared business. Like, what do you like? Okay. We need to get incorporated for taxes. So we don't, we pay less taxes. What should we call our studio? Like Wood Kusaka studios. It's never been like a question about, uh, sharing, you know, uh, space and, and having, um, kind of like a communal vibe, which is great. Cause I don't really share that communal vibe with a lot of other artists, obviously like just, just my wife and, and that's great, you know? And you guys have a, the, the, the couple of times I've been there, like the vibe in the studio, like the people that work there, the collectivity, like obviously it's your practice, but there's like, I think it's specifically LA in my experience. Cause I've noticed at a couple other places, like mm-hmm. it feels like you're all in it together. You're all having fun again, but it's a serious, it's like it's work. It's a job. Yeah. People are there to do their stuff. You guys are eating together. There's like a food element, like, right. um, food elements major at Wood Kusaka studio. Yeah, no, it's great. It's yeah. amazing. It's um, major. and I'm just wondering like, how, you know, you do have people that work for you. Like, what's it like to like, to be a boss and to feel like you're like a captain of a ship. Like, is that a weird, when did that first begin to like Donnie? Like, Oh, I've got two or three people that are kind of full time here. In now. 2007, I hired my first assistant for $13 an hour named Andy Spore. He went on to go to Harvard law school. So I feel like <laughs> I definitely hired a very smart, um, totally. young man. His girlfriend was going to UCLA at the time. And I remember like the first time hiring somebody, it always felt natural because both me and Shio worked for, I mean, when Shio was working for Charlie Ray at one point, maybe he had like 15 people plus right. working there. And then I was working for Laura and it was pretty small at the time. It was like me and one or other people or two other people, but it was, it was always great experience for both of us to be assistants. So when we went about hiring people, Luckily, we had such a great experience and and the things that we liked and didn't like about it, we tried to carry into having people work for us. So uh, I I just always knew what it felt like because I was an assistant for like three years to like a bunch of different people. And I was just like, okay, this is this is what I would want if I was an assistant, like somebody to feed me and kind of like we I guess we're more of like a mom and pop Mm-hmm. type of studio yeah. like we want to we like care for the people that we that work for us and we and we um which i guess everybody does care for but i mean it's it's we just want them to be like happy not just like grinding it out for us because i feel like that's the vibe i want to be around too you yeah. know we both want to be around and i have to give shio a lot of credit not to keep talking but she did like set up our studio like really well and she's like the driving force of, of positivity. Okay. All right. It's good to know where it comes from. Yeah. <laughs> um, cause I'm a cranky boss. I'm terrible at it. Um, one more kind of like kind of broad based scene question before we come back to these drawings in the work, sure. just cause you brought it up earlier and I think it's so important. Uh, and it relates kind of to that, that studio practice that for me is very LA, like the big horizontal spaces, the larger studio spaces, the collectivity. And you mentioned that, you know, you first met Mark Rochon because he was interested in your work and he was supporting other artists in LA. And I've noticed kind of on your Instagram and just from hearing, like you're really supportive of a subsequent generation of Los Angeles artists, um, kind of, you know, pulling them up, posting their work, I think probably maybe acquiring work here and there that we've seen in the studio. Like how important is that now? Like, cause I don't, honestly, I don't see that in New York, at least not as publicly. Yeah. I, 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 I do collect a lot of work, but I'd have to say like as a caveat, like I wish I collected more because in the last like five to 10 years, LA is like 
10x in size and the artists there are incredible and i feel like now i'm almost i do collect and i do go to a lot of things but i i'm not as in depth as what i could be and i i actually hope that nobody's offended that i'm that i can't sort of collect You're a busy guy. collect all collect all collect all it seems it like you actually show up for each other yeah but people do show up and there there is i mean that's the thing that i don't know if it was just in new york or anything but it's like you made money and then you're like, I want to buy some art. Like when I, when I first started making money, like the, some of the first stuff I bought was like ceramics that, that uh, Shio's professor had made and like other people's art. And it just felt like, I don't know, I love collecting. I love living with art. I love feeling the energy of other people's art and having it like emit out towards me and make me happy. I think that that's why I collect art. I hope that's why most people collect art. I don't think it is, but I think, um, um, so when you go around and you see all these fantastic young artists, like just bringing their a game and even more so, you know, as time has gone by, it's, it's, it's very rewarding to buy something and live with it. And, and the same thing happened to me, you know, Mark and other artists bought my work. Like I remember when Richard Prince bought something and I was like, this is fucking crazy. Like Richard Prince just bought one of my paintings. You know what I mean? Like I was like, I think I might've like almost cried. Yeah, um, and not that I'm just going to do whatever Richard Prince does, but I think, um, there's a part of it that's, that's really important to the culture. And I think that most artists do collect, even if they trade, you know, I think it's, it's part of it. Um, I mean, great answer. Uh, and, you know, I think more and more people should, you know, should live with art. I live with art because, like, it makes my life better. It makes me a better human being. It fills me with joy and thought. Right. Um, but maybe that isn't why everyone does. Um, I see a lot, in addition to kind of pop culture or sports cultural kind of history and the things that immediately surround you, she has pots, interiors, the studio, um, some other recurrent things like this amazing house, which I happen to know is on Martha's Vineyard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I want to ask this guy is. up here uh, with the art. Like, how much of your and and then obviously your yeah, children. that's my grandfather. Yeah. So that's the other thing, I guess. Like one thing with portraiture is like painting my family or painting my p- parents' house, which I do a lot. I think that that's probably the most like intense out of the things that I pick to do, only because it's either I'm like reinventing a space that I already lived in, or thinking about you know growing up or thinking about like I had a lot of you know trauma growing up with the family so I think something working through um those things and and being present working through um my personal history is part of it and I always go back to it like painting portraits of my family you know painting port like recently the last show with Kordansky I I did uh this interior that has like a tv with a Matisse and this cat on the table. It's not even my cat. It's actually my friend Mike Davis's cat. But um, but um, like that was probably the last one I did that had to do with that. Or even the portrait of my wife and my daughter that I just made for this Casa Malparte show. So yeah, that's I guess that's the one thing I I just push that under portraits and interiors. But yeah, like certain things can be more um, maybe titillating is not the right word, but like emotionally invested and i and i really like that too yeah i I want the freedom of just like the beauty and the fun and invention and i also want kind of like the be able to cull some some deep personal um feelings and memories at the same time 
I mean, I think that this drawing of the house and then the painting, which I've subsequently seen, which is different right. but related, right. like it has such a, f- it has such an emotional feeling, even though it's basically a landscape with a building in it. Right. Uh, I think from the first time, I think I saw it first in your studio, and like there's some because there's no people, but it has the presence. You know, the absence of people is really noticeable because it's a living environment. Yeah. Um, and I've always felt there's like a deep psychological thing to this like also amazing looking house. Like it feels like very full. It feels very. Um, not full, uh, it feels like a touchstone in a way. I really, yeah. really have always liked that and been drawn to it. That painting blew me away when I saw it. Thank um, you. So drawing is clearly something you engage in consistently and constantly. We see like drawings on stationery here, like large format, which is clearly done in the studio. Like how, how uh, is this like a daily practice for you? Um, yeah, probably. I mean, I'm writing down something every day. If I'm at the studio, it's a daily practice. If I'm traveling, like I'll bring like a kit you know, like for this, this traveling to New York and I'm about to go to Europe after this, I brought kind of like a small kit Mm -hmm. and it's almost like a safety valve. Like if I'm stressed out, it's really good to have it. Um, I know that making any kind of art is, is like therapeutic for me. Definitely my savior. Um, so, so yeah, like regularly at the studio for sure. I take breaks when I'm traveling, but you know, I like to work all the time. I got to get like pulled out of the studio. So traveling and not doing anything is actually probably a good thing for me. All of the stationery here is from the Gagosian Gallery in London. Did you just grab these from the, the, did you make those in London? Yeah, the stationery drawing started when I first um, came to New York in 2007 for Anton because he put me up at the Maritime and then they would like, they'd replenish the notepads like every morning. Like I would take one and take it to the Met and draw or take it with me. And I'd be like, Oh, I noticed that they replenish this this morning. (laughs) And then I would like every day I would take them. And by the time I would leave, I would have like eight or nine of them. And I was just, I don't know. It was just the first thing. I don't, I didn't know anything about Kippenberger's project or anything like that. It just, it wasn't anything about art history. It was just about free paper. Right. And then, and then I just started collecting it. The London ones were from when I did a show in London with uh-huh. Gagosian and I just kept them. And then I actually appropriated all these different art pads, like the mm-hmm. maritime one I changed into Wood Kusaka studio, but kept the same symbol. Mm-hmm. Gagosian actually let me, um, make a Wood Kusaka studio notepad that looks exactly like the Gagosian pad, but in, <laughs> instead it just says Wood Kusaka studio, they wouldn't g- let me do They wouldn't give me the file because uh-huh. they actually like, that they own that font, right. the Goshen does, but they let me use their manufacturer and they, and I showed them what I wanted to do and they put it together for me and they That's printed so cool. me like a thousand. Do you still have notepads. some? Yeah. I make them all the time. I think those ones are, yeah, I have like London, Gagosian, and I mean, I'm even made like notepad paintings where I made mm-hmm. I like, those. yeah, silk screen, the notepad information and then kind of painted doodles on top of them. So yeah, doodling on notepads is sort of just another kind of, um, like a, draw, a drawing genre that I like kind of keep going back to. I'm like real, like, you know, OCD when it comes to like, uh, going back to the well of, of ideas and then re the remix, you know, I wouldn't say it's OCD, but I feel like you, you have this great encyclopedia or dictionary of words, like a lingua franca and you kind of continue to remix and reuse that language, which right. is like pretty uniquely yours. I'm just noticing as we're kind of sitting back here, mm-hmm. the great commonality and kind of disparate, disparate thing between these really small tennis court drawings yeah. and then the and four the really ones. large ones. Right. I, I love the way that that repeats. It's like all these great little jokes. It's almost like reading like paragraphs of poetry, but there's like a rhythm to it and the yeah. way that 
at the gallery um, and you guys installed it, like it has a, it has like a thing to it, like a kind of beat poetry thing. Yeah, the install really is like. fantastic. How did yeah. this show come about? Like obviously drawings are important to you. You've certainly shown drawings in the past. Like um, how did you end up working with Brendan and Shanisha on this show here at Karma of 100 right. Drawings? Well, I've been working with Brendan and um, at Karma and Shanisha since I think 2014 that they, they, me and Shio had our first show at Kagoshin in 2014 in Hong Kong. And we made this book called black welder with, um, with Brendan. And, um, and then we did a subsequent show in 2015 and I've been in, you know, friends and making, I think I made like 10 or 12 designed 10 or 12 books with Brendan and, and his team. Um, since then, and then we always talked about doing a show and working together and not just doing a show, but working together. Like Brendan's one of my best friends and I've always wanted to, um, to like show at his gallery. And, um, I had pitched him some ideas about doing a show and they were more painting related and like kind of luckily he said no, because I think that starting, um, working with the gallery on this type of show is, is, is a, is a better, is, is, is amazing. Um, the way this came about was that I wanted to show an installation of drawings. I get that question a lot. Like, when are you having a drawing show? Like, what's up with your drawings? I'm really interested in your drawings. And then I said to Brendan, like, why don't I do an installation of drawings from the last 20 years? And he was like, boom, let's do it. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense with his aesthetic and concerns, right? right? And also that Brendan does such fantastic um, historical shows. Not that... um, it's weird that we're having a historical show, I guess, it 20 years struggle. of drawings, years. but it is, it feels like a really awesome way to like launch our, our, our partnership mm-hmm. and, 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 you know, selfishly, <clears throat> I get to show a hundred drawings from the last 20 years in one installation and, you know, get to see what kind of people have been asking me. I've been getting this question for probably like 10 or 15 years. Like, when are you going to do just a drawing show? <clears throat> You know, everybody knows that you paint and then you show these drawings all the time. But when are you going to just do a drawing show? So, you know, I'm doing a drawing show. <laughs> um, l- a couple of last quick questions before we wrap this up for sure. you. Just being here, because this is kind of the first time you've been surrounded by all these works together up on the wall. Yeah. Obviously, Nate and I have pulled out some themes and things that we've seen. But is there anything that's occurred to you in the last half hour or so like that you're seeing for the first time? I mean, like, I guess I'm like pretty consistent, I guess. That's what I, yeah. I mean, I, I kind of already knew that. You can see from the beginning where, you know, I guess I used to be called um, a naive painter. That's the tag that, that Dana got, you know, Dana Schutz got that like naive painting or I never, I don't think that that's the right word, but I can see how I was more naive in the beginning and then once you become like aware and you practice enough, you can't really go back to being naive. Mm. So it's cool to see sort of the, um, see that in the beginning where I'm not as sure and I'm, eh, eh, but I'm, but I'm, but I'm serious. But it's there. You but know. it's there. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and that's really interesting. And also I got, I know I keep bringing up advice that I got, but advice that I got, um, in grad school is like, you should be able to make something very, very small and you should be able to make something very, very big. And I'm very satisfied with this show because it's very, very small drawings and very, very big drawings. Mm -hmm. And I think that, and the painting in the same way, like I got the same advice about painting. Like if you can make a really big painting, you should be able to make a really small painting. And so not to like 
that's what I'm getting. I'm very feeling very positive and happy about being here with you guys and seeing this. For the, I just see it got here half an hour ago, and it's and I'm and it's it's I'm not like emotional, like but I'm, I'm it makes me happy that kind of emotion right now. You know, yeah. yeah I mean, know it has a, it has a great vibe. In it here. really does. I can say I'm okay. excited for everyone to see it. You know. The opening. I'm excited for it to be in New York for a while, especially mm-hmm. in the summer. You know, it's just gonna really light up the city. You know, I'm I, maybe I'm biased because I live a block away from here, <laughs> and I'm gonna spend a lot of time here walking the dog and whatnot, and bringing the You're, baby well, by. After but, your eighth visit, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, probably more honestly, because you know, there's a lot to take in. It's not a show that you can just sort of just, you know, if you have the opportunity, it's great to come back and back and back because it's so rich and yeah. It's yeah, I think the pe- I think the people are really gonna love this because they do. It keeps it keeps giving mm-hmm. to you. You can spend a lot of time with it, and mm-hmm. uh, I'm excited for people to see this party of practice kind of uh, 20 years of it all together. It's awesome. awesome, Jonas. We've wanted to do this for a long time. Thank you so much for sitting. Thank down you so much, us. Jonas. Really this is thanks, guys. really an incredible show. And thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Nota bene. Out. Out.